Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and... We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. So we are... It's still in the beginnings of a new year, 2022, but I always, you know, I always love to say happy new year because it is still new and it's plenty of time to get started on anything that you're thinking about. Who cares what the calendar says? You're welcome for that. Anyway, excited about today's guest, Sierra Stockland. So she has owned and operated businesses since her early teens. I want to know all about that. And because P.S., she hasn't stopped. So serial entrepreneur, clearly. And, you know, her business mindset and tenacity has led her to open her first store, Mama Mia, which was a high-end maternity store in Fargo, North Dakota. But after that, she developed a designer outlet store and It has just kind of gone on and on. Some more concepts. Obviously, we have a very entrepreneurial mind talking with us today. I'm going to let her fill in all of the blanks. So with that, I say welcome, 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 and thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. So you know how we start? Tell us about you anywhere you want to start in that story. Okay. I love that. So I would probably have to, I would have to start with my childhood because I think how I was raised created like many of us where we ended up being in her adulthood. So I was a third generation entrepreneur. So I was around small business forever. Every Easter dinner, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, my dad, my grandpa, my uncles were always talking about business. It wasn't always giggles and lollipops. It was a lot of, you know, little tension in the room. Yeah. But it was just normal. Like I never thought anything of, you know, other than this is just what family does. So always around that. And my parents were very, um, the kind of people that were very much, if you want to do something, Sierra, figure out and do it. You can figure it out. You can make this happen. So when I was young, I used to put on little productions in our backyard and sell tickets to the neighbors. And I was always the one like, let's do another lemonade stand, even though we lived 
way at the end of the, like there was no traffic, but our mailman <laughs> was an amazing customer. I loved it. Cause when we would do a lemonade stand, he would give me a $5 bill, which was mm-hmm. a lot in the eighties. And he'd say you, this $5 is for you girls, my sister and friends and I, but I get to come back as many times as I want. And so he'd give us $5 and it would be hot, you know? And so he'd run the mail and So he was such a good customer. We did it for him. But yeah, so just always finding opportunity to sell things, to figure out how to have little business ventures. And then when I was 13, um, I was a homeschool student, not very happy about that at the beginning. I felt left out of life. And I remember we had some friends over and we were watching Anne of Green Gables. We love that show. And um, I don't know, watching it for the 10th millionth time. (laughs) And when we left and to take my little friend home, I was complaining to my mom in the back of the car. I remember where we were driving. Like I can picture what was outside the window in our car and complaining. And she said, if you want to do a play, because I was complaining that I didn't get to do that. I was homeschooled and there was no theater. And she said, why don't you just do it on your own? Like, why don't you do it? And I thought, why don't I just do it? And so I opened this little acting company and drew in friends and then more friends and it began to blossom and grow. And I thought, you know what, this is something where we could really offer classical theater to the community. And then I had this vision of renting out this old theater downtown and it just started to blossom. And so that I built that into my first business and ran that for about a decade downtown in Fargo. We worked with high school, college, public, private, homeschool kids it was a really neat opportunity for the community. So that was my first formal business. How old are you when you wanted to put the play on and, and recruited your friends and got people involved? Yeah, yeah, so 13. And then I would say 14, 15 is where, you know, families were like, well, can our kids be in this acting company? And I didn't even really know ah, I had one. And then I was going to say, like, sure. wow. yeah. And then I just remember um, after that thinking, you know, if I'm going to do this, why don't I really do it? Like, why don't I rent out a theater? And so, you know, we needed money for it. So I thought, okay, well I could charge for these acting classes because, and what I really loved was the directing. And now I know that about myself. What I love is creating things and putting things together. It wasn't the acting that I liked. It was the producing. And so we first theater we rented was the Moorhead high school theater for a two hour full-blown Shakespeare production. And to raise money, I would run the kids around because I had a car by that time I was 16, 17, a couple other of us did. And we would go door to door and ask if we could rake leaves for a donation. And so we raised money that way. And then we had an ice cream social. And I thought, well, I, you know, if I could get the ice cream and the cones for free, then it's all profit. So I talked to local dairy place, Casclay, and asked if they had any donations they could give us. And so they would give us the extra ice cream, the runs at the end of the day. And the grocery store gave us all the ice cream cones. And so we raised money that way. And so every year it just grew and grew over the course of about a decade. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was my first adventure when I was done with the acting company. And by that time I was married, had two little kids. Well, the second was on the way. And I was like, I just, I'm tired of like all the nights and weekends. It was all after school, you know? And I have my own little ones. And so I'm going to close up shop. At that time, I never, it could never cross my mind to sell it. Now I, I could have sold that business because there were a lot of assets and great customer relationships and stuff. But I just closed up shop. And then my next venture was my retail store. So Mama Mia. Yes, Mama Mia. And that came about because you said you were expecting, you were expecting your second one. And so what were you finding? What was lacking or 
what what was driving it because it's quite a niche, yes. obviously. Yes. And again, much older. I won't even tell. I, I I sew. So a thousand years ago, I mean, my kids are 36, going to be 33, going to be 26. Back then it was, you know, obviously like pregnant women, you couldn't wear anything tight. Everything had to be like, you know, a tent yes. or, and let's throw a little cute little oh, bow on it. Cause yeah. yes. Yeah. And let's have, you know, the waist come right up above your belly. I really so unattractive. It. <laughs> horrible. Absolutely horrible. And like, I just refuse to buy into any of it. And thankfully I could sew and I could make my own clothes and I could, you know, have a little control over that, but it was such an underserved market. Yes. And now today, pregnant women look freaking fantastic. Oh, I know. I love it. Yeah. And that's where I was really coming into the time where, so when I started my store, Angelina Jolie was pregnant and she was the big celebrity. So it was like, all of a sudden the celebrities were making pregnancy really fashionable. And so people started thinking like, this would be nice. Like we could dress beautifully and comfortably and in our own style, but there was nothing. I was from a small town in North Dakota, the biggest town in North Dakota, but still small. And there just wasn't any options. And we had traveled a lot. We've always traveled a lot as a family. My husband's in transportation. And so we were always traveling and I would go to these other places and there would be these cute little maternity boutiques. And so I wanted to open a store. I knew I wanted to build a brand, not a hobby. And I knew I needed a niche. And so I thought, well, maternity baby, that's what we'll do. And so that's why I opened Mama Mia. And then while you have that, because obviously your mind does not rest (laughs) at all. (laughs) And it's not as though you, I don't, I don't think you strike me as the person of like, you cut the ribbon, the store is open. And then like the next week you're like, okay, uh, what else can I do? Like you, you take it in, you enjoy, but I'm sure the wheels are just going or you're just, your eyes are just so open to see the next. That's actually a really good way to put it. That is a, I've never thought of that, Stephanie. Yeah. It's that I'm always looking at and for opportunity. Like where, where's it an opportunity? And it finds you. And clearly, I mean, we're not even halfway through the story, but you know. And it gets wild. Spoiler alert. It, it finds her, but you're clearly just open. I mean, you said you didn't want it to be a hobby. I mean, I opening retail is, it's a commitment, especially you have a young family, but you also know it's not your end all. Yes. I wanted this to be a business and a brand. And so I went in, my goal was to have three stores in five years. I don't know where that came from. That was just the goal that I wow. set in place. Okay. And like what it. was funny, my, so my husband was working for a trucking company in Fargo and they hauled for high-end matern, uh, high-end department stores, not maternity stores, but like Neiman and Saks. And they would end up with salvage freight. So they would deliver it. The pallet would be damaged. Nordstrom wouldn't take it. Nike wouldn't take it back. They'd pay the claim. And they started accumulating this product over years. And they didn't know what to do with this trucking company. And so his boss came to me and was like, hey, Sierra, you have a retail store. This is six months after I opened. And he's like, I have two trailer fulls of salvage product. It's who knows what's in there. Would you sell it in your store? 
And I thought, well, that would be really odd to put like random stuff in my beautiful <laughs> maternity boutique, but I don't say no However, to opportunity. So I said, well, next door to us, there's this little place for rent. It was a hole in the wall right next door. Cause we're in those old buildings where everything's like long and narrow. So I had been an old bank next door. It was not renovated. It was awful, but I said, we could go in there and I could sell through it. And, you know, I'd be happy to do it for you. So no agreement. This was a handshake, old fashioned handshake deal. He said, I'll back up the trailers. I'll supply the product and I'll pay the rent. You pay the employees and you manage it. We'll split everything 50, 50. And I said, sure, I'll do it. So found a couple new people to work. We backed up the two trailer loads. I mean, amazing things. Kate Spade, Hugo Boss, Nike, Ben Sherman, like Spanx. All this this amazing product. Yeah. And so I just, that was my first lesson in retail and small business, really like the first aha lesson. You can sell anything for the right price. So we would get like one of our pallets. It was a pallet of size 21 men's Nike tennis shoes, size 21, but I had to figure out how to sell them. So I was like, who, well, hmm, we could sell them for gay gifts. Wouldn't that be the best white elephant gift ever? And so that's how we sold them. So I figured out how to market and sell some amazing products, some really, really weird stuff. Um, That was kind of my first lesson. And then we sold through those two truckloads really quickly. And then next lesson, I have an awesome concept that everybody's shopping that makes a lot of money and I have no inventory left. How do I get this? Because they had (laughs) accumulated this over time. Okay. Yes. Two trailers and, oh, what's that? It's Tuesday. We opened last Monday. Hmm. Yeah. Now what are we going to do? do? So I started, (laughs) I thought, well, I have a lot of maternity vendors and they probably have overstock or closeouts or damaged or samples. So I just started calling. Do you have any products? And I would say, no, no, no. I don't want your new stuff. Go to the back of your warehouse, in the shelves, in the dust. I want your oldest merchandise. What do you have for me? And so I started buying overpriced and off stock, um, overstock inventory. And I knew that we would eventually be able to absorb it with that idea of multiple stores. But I knew I had to be the easiest person to work with because I was competing with TJ Maxx and other big off-price retailers for inventory. So I would pay cash for everything and I would say yes to take it. And I would never return. Those are my three things to make it easy to work with me. So we would buy like, for instance, barefoot dreams. I bought 1200 light pink, like cardigan sweaters. They were amazing. It was like a hundred dollar sweater at Nordstrom, maybe hundred bucks, but 1200 of them light pink for Fargo. And I thought, well, I'll keep 300 and then I'll liquidate the rest. So I started to buy big bulk of inventory I'd keep some of it and I hold call and find other mom and pops around the country that I could offload the rest of it to. And so then I started building like a brokerage wholesale business where I would offload inventory for designers. So I want everyone to get out a piece of paper and start the tally. Let's continue. (laughs) It sounds as though, again, it just appears you're not, I don't want to assume that you weren't losing sleepover, but you weren't worried you're confident, like, okay, what's next? Good idea. We opened it. Good response. And you just like, you're naturally taking a next step and a next step. And it's so important that you're taking the step. And I think that's where so many, I'll say entrepreneurs, again, we, you get stuck in your stuff. We get stuck in the, well, what if this doesn't work? 
what if it doesn't work? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. you know, the story. It's a great story, but to, it might. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, or it might kind of sort of work, you know. And then you know, and then you. I'm just not very fearful of the outcome of things because I think right. so. You're not attached. No, and- just you know, we'll figure it out. And I'm very um, relationship driven. So to me, it's all about connecting with people. And not so that you can use them, but so you have connections to build your network and your opportunity and places you can ask questions or get advice or sell something to, or you just never know what that connection is going to be. Or they may know somebody, it may not be for them, but you know, their best friend has a place and yes, uh, you know, the whole place is decorated in pink. They only sell pink merchandise. Have I I got someone for you? Exactly. Wow. Okay. So continue. This yeah. is so interesting. It's, yeah. It's quite the story. So <laughs> it's a great and I'll story. try not to be long-winded. So we had this outlet no, you and we had long-winded. a maternity next lesson. What do I do? Cause I had a beautiful child and I had an ugly child. My ugly child made me money. My beautiful child was much more difficult. A maternity customer is very difficult. You have three months basically with her, which I never thought about when I opened because she's not going to buy at the beginning and she's really not going to buy at the end of her pregnancy. And when she's done, she's done. So you have this sweet spot of three months maybe to sell her. Um, And so you're constantly looking for new and rotating through clientele where with typical boutique, you find a client, they love you, they keep coming back. And so in mode, the designer outlet, I had something that appealed to the masses, high margin, quick turn, the maternity store, not so much. So decided that making money was important and I would rather be profitable than right. And so, or get my way. So I merged the two concepts and I brought the outlet into the boutique environment. And that's what we, you know, that's what become came mode was a designer outlet store. So we did that in 2008, two years after we had opened Mamma Mia. And then in 2010, we franchised. So I had a lot of people that were starting to come in like, oh, do you franchise this? And I had no idea what that was, but I was like, I don't, but maybe I should. Like, should I, (laughs) should I say yes? (laughs) Let me check on that. And so we ended up franchising and we built that from 2010 until 2016, had 13 stores around the country, built that, grew it to a seven figure business, had a warehouse, a team, did a lot of advocacy for small business in that journey, very involved in the franchise association. So that was a really high, high, like it was really building up. And then I lost everything. So that's a really fun part of the story too. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) You might be like, I I don't know. Should I have interviewed this girl? It's too much. No, no, it's, it's amazing. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. It's a lot. Let's go. So yeah. So we had built that up. I was actually, I had gone to the white house a couple of times, which is awesome. Um, on behalf of, I was involved in the small business council for the U S chamber of commerce, international franchise association. So I had done a lot of advocacy. I was doing a lot of things that I loved that just filled my passion bucket. But in 2015, I just had this feeling that something wasn't right. Like it was this, and I would tell the team and I even told my husband, like, and from the outside, everyone's like, oh my goodness, you're, you're making money. You should be happy. You have your corner office now. And I was like, I, something is brewing. I don't know what it is. It's something's not right. And come to find out in 2016, that a group of our franchisees decided that they wanted to leave our system 
And so through a very quick course of events, we ended up winding down the Mode brand. In less than a year, we went from 13 stores to our one store left. I sold the brand off to one of the franchisees who still has it actually, sold that off and closed that last store. And I like to say like, God decided he was going to just pry that out of my grimy little hands (laughs) because I held on so tight. You know, going back to what you mentioned, like seeing opportunity and not being afraid and always finding solutions, that was an Achilles at that time because I kept thinking it was your legacy, right? Fix it and I'll just figure it out and I'll try this and I'll figure it out and I'll figure it out. But sometimes it's okay to close a chapter and move on. And it took me, it was very hard for me to understand that that was okay. And so we ended up closing. Through everything we filed for bankruptcy, we lost our home. It was very, very hard. Wow. Yes. And while that was unwinding, and I found myself just like, what was this all for? Just my relationship with God and how I became so introspective actually was such a blessing that I would have never discovered had I continued in that perceived success of what everyone saw. And so kind of fast forward through the, the tums and the tissues and the tears, you know, thinking, what is this for? Of course I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do next? Which is crazy to think that I would even be thinking that way. But I think that that was a blessing also that I was given just to be able to get up off the couch and think, okay, with my skills, what could I do with this? With my connections, what can I do? So my next business, I launched the boutique box which is a subscription box for wholesalers and vendors. Cause I thought I have all these relationships with vendors and I have all this knowledge about boutique owners and how they function. Why can't I bring them together in a way that benefits both parties? So I built that in order to build it and sell it. I didn't want to grow it and maintain it. I think I wanted to just challenge myself that I can do something again. To make sure you still yes. had it. Yes. <laughs> as though, as though, which you probably knew honestly deep down, but but you were still looking some wounds. You were a little wounded. You got, you know, maybe for the first time, because it sounded like it happened quickly and clearly not your idea. No, not my idea. Not your idea. (laughs) Not your doing. We don't like that when it's out of our control. This is not my plan. What is going on? Ah, because Jesus took the wheel. Yes. And said, you know what? We're we're gonna make this left turn right yes. here. And no, I no, was no. like, no, and no, no, just, you don't understand. Yeah, this is the direction. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And they're like, watch, watch me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So along comes the subscription. Yes. So I built that. And as I would and little did I know that was also his plan of preparing me for the absolute best chapter of my life. So so often the tragedy, the hard stuff that we go through without it, we could not do what we were really created to do in the first place. So I'm building the subscription box and I'm meeting all these boutique owners and I'm thinking, stay away from me. (laughs) Like every boutique owner on the planet is out to screw me. Stay away from me. Like I will, you know, sell you something and then back away. And a gal came into my life. Her name was Lisa. And she happened to message me and said, you know, Hey, I'm interested in your subscription box. I just opened my boutique. And after, right after I'd opened, my husband was killed in a car accident. And she talks about this a lot to my group. She'll share her story. And she said, you know, I have no idea what to do. Like, I don't know how to run a business. And I thought, how selfish would it be for me to sit here with all this information and not share it because I may get wounded again when I can help somebody. 
And so I was like, fine, God, I will help just her, only her. <laughs> I'll go into service one more time. This is it. On my conditions. So I started helping Lisa and then another group. And then, you know, the group started to form. And so I started a beta coaching group and I saw phenomenal results, just helping them budget, understand their numbers, how to manage inventory, how to manage time. And so then I did another beta group and another sold the subscription box, which was my goal. So I built it and sold it in under two years. And then I thought, you know what I love doing and what is missing is core foundational help in the retail space. Like women go into retailing because they love clothing. They're good at customer service. They're good at merchandising and they have no idea about the number side of things. And I'm not an accountant or bookkeeper, but I know how to grow a business and I know how to build a really good foundation and I know how to plan with the end in mind. And so I launched the boutique workshop to, it'll be two years ago this May. And in January, when I pulled the number, I've worked with over 800 boutique retailers, paying customers, clients to help them with their businesses. So, and I never would have done that. It's funny because the materials that I use and the systems and processes were what I was training myself and putting in place for my franchise system. And so I felt so gypped out of that when it all closed. But what God was doing was saying like, yep, I'm preparing you here because we're not going to help 13 people. We're going to help 1300 people. And so that's what I'm doing today. Okay. Wow. Is let's just take a moment. Where do I even begin? It's okay. So I want to go back just a few, uh, because I've always been curious about when people say they see something, I'll say on the small scale, because here you are in downtown Fargo, or maybe you meet people at trade shows or what have you. But, you know, when someone says you should franchise this. So with that information that you didn't think of at the time, then where do you even begin? Is there franchise university? Like, how do you even, you you would, find an association or again, someone that's going to just teach you the ins and outs because there are for as few success stories out there. There are so many that unfortunately took the wrong train. Yeah. Franchising. So I've had people ask me like, should, can we talk to you about franchising your business? And I'll never tell someone not to franchise because franchising is a really great model. What I didn't realize and what so many entrepreneurs don't realize is a couple of things. First of all, it's very cost intensive. It's very expensive to franchise because it's federally regulated. So you have to be audited every year. You have to create processes and systems and manuals. You have to be able to go visit your franchisees and support them. It's just very expensive to franchise. And I didn't realize that. Second to that, and I feel like almost more importantly, when you franchise, when you become the franchisor, you're no longer the entrepreneur that made the business successful. You have a completely different role. And for most entrepreneurs, myself included, it's not a role we were really created for. So a franchisor is very regulatory, like you're constant, you're director of operations. So you're making sure people follow the rules. And if they don't, you're having hard conversations, it's checklists. It's, and so I went from being able to make this concept really profitable and selling to whoever and being creative and on the fly and franchising, it's so regimented. And now I found myself completely shifted into a new role that I wasn't very 
equipped for, nor did I really enjoy. I was going to say that honestly, it just didn't fit you. No. And so unless you have a lot of money to hire an operations manager right away, a director of ops, because you can go that route where you be, stay the entrepreneur, the one people love. It's really hard though, to sell a franchise, to be the rah-rah person, to cast the vision and then to turn and be like, I'm going to write you up for not paying your royalties. And then now you need to believe in me and now I'm going to cast the vision and now I'm going to write you up for like, that is very tough. And so people don't realize that a lot of emerging franchisors don't realize it and it burns them out. It's just, or they just don't do a good job and there ends up with, you know, a lot of disgruntlement and it's very tough. So when I visit with people, I tell them that about franchising, I'm like, just, you know, do you have a lot of cash? And can you hire the right people right away? Because you can't entrepreneur your way through a really good franchise building of a good franchise system. And then on the on a just a side note, was any of the businesses did you have any online presence or were you strictly brick and mortar? Yeah, so strictly brick and mortar. mortar. And then social selling really wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. So they all had social platforms, but there was no social. Uh, one of the, I think one of the franchises actually was starting to dabble in it and she was pretty, um, she would have been really great at that type of role, but yeah, it was all brick and mortar. So the subscription. So now you realize, because again, you have, I think you, the way you look at things is, and you may not say it in the middle of the shit storm, but kind of in the back of your mind, you're like, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson yes. here. And it kind of softens the blow a little. It still sucks. I mean, yes. man, you went from, I'll say, having it all, quote unquote, like, you know, yeah. you checked a lot of boxes to what the fuck just happened? And where's my it, life? And so quickly. Yes. And why does so my life quickly. look like this when their life looks like this? That just isn't fair. But I think, you know, in life, when we have those hard lessons, a, a mentor of mine had told me this once, and I really appreciate it because this was a big, a big um, thought for me that continued to bubble up throughout the really tragic part of what was going on. She said, you know, a lot of times the majority of our circumstances are not in our control. They're beyond our control. Like what my franchisees chose to do, I couldn't, con- like they made that decision. However, she said, we always have responsibility for a small piece of where we are. And so I had to look and say, what part of this did I need to take responsibility for? And if we don't do that, then we're always the victim. And I was not going to be the victim. So what did I control and what couldn't I control? I could see all the stuff I couldn't control, but you know what? I didn't do this right. And I could have done this better. And maybe I should have listened there. And so I'm not going to do those things again. So now is my chance to try another chapter, to open another chapter and to learn from that. And part of what I really learned was just what I enjoy doing and what I'm really good at and what I will not do anymore. I will not be 24 seven working. I did that. And I always say I did that and look where it got me. It didn't give me the results I ultimately wanted anyway. So why hustle like that? And so with the subscription box, I wanted to just prove like you can build something on your own terms with your own skill set within your own time frame. You can have the balance. Everybody talks about work-life balance. It's just a matter of the choices you make and how you manage your time. And so that's why I really use that business to kind of calibrate and say, what do I like and what do I want to do? And yeah. Because you're, I mean, again, 
just based on what you just said, you're very in tune to yourself. And more importantly, I describe people like you you didn't want to be the victim, although you had every right to be, but a different person would have, I describe it just as, you know, like having a lot of scabs or people that always carry that luggage, that baggage with them. And then that becomes their story, their past. And it's like, well, no, oh, no, I, yeah, you know what, look how it worked out for me. Always, whatever it is, but you were just like, again, cut the tie. Let me air out this scab because my skin's going to heal. Yeah. And then when people ask what the scar is, I can use that as part of my story for what I'm doing now and look at it as maybe not beautiful, but it's not ugly and I don't have to hide it and I don't have to cover it up. That was something too, with the story, you know, even with the bankruptcy, I'm like, I'm just going to tell it. People can find out whatever they want to find out. I might as well tell my story from, you know, my vantage point right. instead of trying right. to like hide it and pretend that everything's always or been be rosy. on the defensive, yes. right? Yes. Be on the defense and well, no, don't, don't believe everything you heard. And, and then that disarms people. Yes. And I think we do it in our personal life, our business life. Like we just, we forget that. I always say we forget that everybody has stuff. Everyone has crap in their life. So That doesn't mean that we share what we've got going on inappropriately, but we also don't have to pretend that we're perfect because nobody is. Everybody has stuff. They have pain. They have heartache. They have trials. So we just learn from each other and and move forward. And it's very important. So so now the subscription. So how and when you say I sent this subscription to the boutique owner, is this someone I'm just opening a store Maybe here is my theme, but I don't know how much of every piece to carry. And that's what you were sending them. So that's what I actually learned they needed. But what I was doing is I was helping them find new brands. So I would go out to makers and say, you have a beautiful brand. Um, Do you want to get in front of boutique owners? I have X amount of subscribers. So they'd send me samples or information and I'd comprise it, put it all together in a box and send those out. We do, we tried different things. We tried every other month. We tried quarterly. It started monthly. So I was matching up brands with buyers. But what I found out in the conversation, what they really needed help with was, I don't know how much to buy. I don't know how much to spend. I buy this all and I you know, sell it all, but I never have money. That's what I kept hearing. I was like, you guys can find your own brands. I mean, that's a helpful service, but what you really need help with is knowing how much to buy and what to buy based on information and data, not on, ah, I feel like this, I feel like that. And so that's how the coaching was born. That is amazing. And it is so important. A very good friend of mine is the most wickedly talented floral designer. She's my go-to for color. She's a fabulous uh, decorator. Her eye is just impeccable for style. And she used to have a store and they closed the store and, but, and, but she started in, in, in flowers and she, you know, works for some other people now and is very instrumental in in their success. And it it is frustrating for her the way they approach their business. And, you know, and she's like, you know, they, they are not thinking like this and they're not thinking like that. And it's, you know, it's just so easy because 
it's easy for her. And, and, you know, I'm like, you need to, and she does, she speaks up and then, and has definitely changed a few things, but when you have, again, that's your superpower and not everybody has that. Not everybody, like you see things very differently than, oh, you know what? I think this is a cute little shop and wouldn't this be fun? And let me, you know, carry all the great accessories or jewelry that I love having. And I have no clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and when when the look- shine wears off, right. Yes. When the Prosecco bottle is empty, cause we've, you know, celebrated the grand opening. And the first day no one what? walks in. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you think now this is not such a great idea. Yes. But helping. So I really like solving puzzles. I like cleaning up and simplifying messes. I always say like, if you gave me, if you brought me to your house and your garage was packed full. So we opened up the garage and it was just packed full. That would be, that would be my house. And you said, okay, what do I do with this? I would tell you go away for like two hours, just leave me alone. And I would look at it and I would figure out how to make it make sense. So when clients come to me and they're like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, tell me your mess. Like no mess scares me. You can give me a mess. I like to, it's like dumping a puzzle out and they're all, and then you just sort them. And then it's like, okay, let's start with all the straight edges and then let's find the pieces and we'll move them together in the right order. I can just look at things and help people sort through it and simplify it down in a way that makes it palatable and not scary. And so that's what I do when I teach the numbers and the, the the financial side. As you say, you're not an accountant by degree. You know bookkeeping because you've been a business owner time and time and time again. And especially, obviously, with the regulatory things, you know, you know how to produce statements, what's important, you know, inventory. And you're absolutely right as far as how much of anything do you buy. That's yeah. It's yeah. Wow. So the subscriptions that takes its course. And again, just as another little platform, just when you think, oh, okay, this is good. And I'm sure, I'm sure you're still not at any place where you'll be like, oh, this is what I was supposed to do all along because you know, there's something else. And then the, but, but you're not impatient. You you take the time to appreciate. You want to finish the puzzle. Yes. I want to finish the puzzle, make it as beautiful as possible. As much of it as you can yes. until you go on to the next one. Yes. Yeah. So that is, you know, it's, it's refreshing that you, you've always known this. It takes us. And, and again, I'm 60 years old. It took me a long time to get it. I kind of always knew it, but couldn't make a connection of any type. And in my last 15, 20 years, it's kind of full steam ahead. And part of the reason that I wanted to start the podcast is to like say, guys, it doesn't have to be that hard. And nothing is forever and nothing identifies you. Like I've done, you know, I've, I've worked in as so many different occupations, but that's not who I am. And we all get stuck in that. Well, but I'm this, no, here's what I am, you know, start out with, you know, you came into this world as women. So we were daughters, 
We were sisters. We were cousins. We might be aunts. You know, we were wives. We were mothers. And so my daughter just got married this past September and now expecting. We're very excited. But in in a day, I went from wearing my mother of the bride robe to when that night ended, I was a mother-in-law. Like, so it's a constant evolution that we go on, but yet everybody wants to stay, stay put, stay safe, but there's good stuff on the other side. I know. So this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately and really working on this message of living big, which if you break it down, yes, break it down. It's bold, (laughs) intentional, and grateful. Cause as I've looked around and like wrapped up what I've done and where I am and what I'm working on, um, and just thinking about it, I think kind of to what you said, like people live in fear. They live in very small sections and small spaces you know, how many times have you heard someone say like, oh, you know, I always wanted to learn to play the piano, but now I'm 50. Then go learn to play the piano. Who cares if you're 80? You can learn to play the piano, you know? And so living big. And what does that mean? And what does that mean to an entrepreneur? And how do we really like have the richest, fullest life with the gifts that we've been given So that we come to the end of our life and we're like, we did everything we could to live this bold, intentional, grateful life instead of, oh, you know, I wish and I'm, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love, love that. So your coaching, your ideal client, how would you describe them? So my ideal client has been in business for around two years and they are someone who is doing okay. Like they're making sales, they're moving forward, but they just feel like there's something more. Like they don't know what they don't know. My client loves to learn and she's willing to put the hard work in. She just needs to be told what she should put the hard work into. And so, yeah, I mean, I work with inventory-based businesses. Most of them have been in business for a while. Once in a while, I work with someone that's just starting out and help them build a foundation. But I really have a passion for saying, okay, are you at 10 grand a month? Let's get you to 20. Or what's your next goal? Do you want to get to 100,000? Let's break it down and figure out how to get you there. And then just building a foundation and someone that will follow the steps, show up and do the work, and then you know, celebrate the wins. So I have two coaching groups. I have, you know, my main coaching group, which is the boutique workshop tribe. There's around 200 retailers in that group. And then I have the accelerator mastermind, which does a lot of the same things, but it's just higher, um, really focused on numbers. So we benchmark every week. Um, I do one-on-one coaching with them as well. And I think both groups have women that are just incredibly hungry to do more with their business. Like I feel like right now, this sounds very audacious, but I feel like what I'm doing is revolutionizing the way that entrepreneurs run their retail businesses. They don't have to be afraid. So they, these women most often, they feel like imposters. They know they don't know the information, but they feel silly to ask it and they hide from it. And they're always overwhelmed and they're never sleeping. And I just tell them like, it just doesn't have to be that way. And you don't have to become a bookkeeper or an accountant 
but I can help you give, I can give you the tools to build confidence, you know, so that you are proud of what you own and you know, which direction you're going and it's not flip-flopping around flavor of the day. So that is again, the empowerment opportunity. Yeah. The knowledge of recognizing like remove the mask. Yes. It's it's okay. Remove yes. the mask because be who you are. Yes. Be who you are. And as a, you know, I was going to say are many of them probably maybe starting out as solopreneurs, which you wear every hat, but you started it because you were you're good at something. You I always say like your genius is here. And because you want to, you know, share that with the world or however you want it, why you want it to go into business, it requires all of this other work that in the beginning, you know, maybe you can afford to hire this, the bookkeeper or the CPA, or, and then you're forced to jump in and have to learn, but that's not your strength. And so you're, you know, you're obviously handy you're making available the lifeline that first tells them it's okay we can this do this is normal yes we and we can do this like it doesn't matter you know what what situation you're in when you hear those words it snaps you out of your you know what was me or like what what was i thinking why did i think and you know Everyone's, if I close this and then every, what will they say? The whole shebang. We can, we all know the lines. We're so good at it when it's just take this hand and let me show you, let me help you. And sorry that you went through your journey, but how happy you have to be because you had to experience that and again have something to compare to to know like well this wasn't the right path even though I thought it was it was a good idea gone awry um and it only catapulted you to the next level yeah and I think the star power if you will that it gives me with my clients is that there is nothing that I haven't experienced like they can't say, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my house. Yep. I already lost my house and I survived. Uh-huh. Yep, you know, correct. they yep. can't be like, well, Here's I'm making how you're a million feel about dollars a year and I have this huge team and I don't want to, ma- yep. I know how to do that. Oh my goodness. I want to expand. I want to go to, I don't, yep. We can do that. So I've been in all those places and empathy is a really powerful tool when you're a coach because you can understand, you truly can understand how they feel. And when you can understand how a client feels, you can help them so much better than if you just have this book theory of what they should do and why they should do it. I've really been there, you know? Yeah, um, no. And, and believe me, it's, it's, it's so important, but then also, you know, it's, we all want to be heard and we mm-hmm. all want to be validated and, yeah. you know, while staying in our little safety zone, while staying in our bubble wrap, but you know, nothing, when you stay there, you're missing everything else. You know, you definitely have to kind of break free and and explore a little. And it's not all sunshine and unicorns. No, absolutely not. (laughs) But there are lots of good days. Yes, lots of good days.
Oh, this is this has been so good. So where as the boutique owner the where are we gonna find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, C Stockland is a great place if you want to watch my adventures. I share a lot of my personal adventures on there, as well as lots of boutique things. And then website sierrastockland.com. I have my blog, you know, podcast, like you'll be linked there so people can listen to things that I've done. Um, and then the boutique workshop, the boutique workshop is where you can find information on coaching and classes. I have a couple free masterclasses, the inventory genius masterclass. So if there's someone that's like, oh my goodness, when you're talking about inventory, that's me. It's a free masterclass. So I'd love for you to take that. And then also a free profit first masterclass. So if you're thinking about profit first and really understanding how you can finally pay yourself, then that might be a great masterclass for you to take. And those are both free. So that was something that I did want to touch on. You're the solopreneur, I'll say, and most people will not start drawing a salary for a while. And some people might think they're prepared for that. Others might find it surprise. And then is it, I don't, I don't want to assume because I've never owned a business, uh, a retail business. So what is an average time where you find that your business owners can draw a salary or do they come out of the box if they planned correctly to still pay themselves? What what happens there? Yeah, it should actually be what's the stat on how long before they pay the salary and yeah, what yeah. can they actually do? Because the majority, like high 90s, do not pay themselves, including me. That was one thing that Again, you know, talking about been there, done that. I had a massive team. And out of all those years in retail, there was one year where I consistently took a paycheck because I kept saying like, I'll reinvest it. My pay will come. You know, I'd rather hire someone else, right? These lies that we kind of tell ourselves, but we're our most valuable employee and asset. And if we chose to not pay our other most valuable, like they'd leave. So (laughs) there's something really interesting in the entrepreneur's heart. We can do that for a while. But when we continue to work for free, we begin to resent our business. And when we resent our business, we cannot thrive in it. And so I encourage any owner that I work with to start today, even if that's $50 a month, even if that's $5 a week, because there's something with the discipline of no negotiation. I'm going to see, I have a story of two clients. They started with me a couple of years ago now, and they just shared at the last live event that I did in Nashville about how, you know, <laughs> her husband said, you need to start paying yourself, even if it's $50 a week. And she said, I'm worth so much more than $50 a week. And so I paid myself nothing. And that's exactly what they do. <laughs> and I love that because that's what we do. Well, I'm worth so much more than $5. You are, but if you can afford $5 and if you put that discipline in place, I can guarantee you that five is going to increase and increase because it's a mindset and it's a discipline and it's prioritizing what actually matters. And so it's so important. Yeah, it's so important. Yes. And we have to feel like we're being rewarded for the effort we're putting in. Absolutely. And especially in the beginning of building any business, I mean, the hours are, and granted, you're not going to, and most people might've, you know, left good paying jobs and now we're going to do it. And it's going to be, you know, the blood, sweat and tears and the grit, and we're going to be resilient. Even if it's, you know, just, 
a hundred gas money. It doesn't even matter, but it's, it's so symbolic. Yes. And there's something that clicks in our mind when we know no matter what on Friday, that $50 gets transferred to my account or that $500 every other week gets transferred to me because I am getting paid for this. The thing that's interesting. So when with profit first, it's a cash management system and they have you set it up, you know, you're saving profit tax and owners pay this of focusing on the numbers accelerator program. And they don't say that in profit first, but that's just what I'm seeing. So in my mastermind, every Monday, everyone that's in the mastermind has to input their numbers into a benchmarking sheet. And when I ask the accelerators that have been in there for several years, why do you think you're growing year over year? They said, it's not, even though the benchmarking itself gives them great value, I can see what I'm making, what she's making and encourages me. They all say it's the discipline of every week looking at what matters that actually increased our business. So it's the same thing with paying yourself. It's the discipline of doing that task and focusing to make sure that that $5 is in there. You're suddenly focusing on other KPIs and other margins and other money metrics that are going to make a a big difference and roll down. So expand on that a little more, because I also think just the fact of the, again, the exercise, the benchmarking, Every week, most, and this is just my assumption, so please correct me. Again, they're happy to make their sale, make sure their staff shows up. You're open, you sell, high five. Yeah, you see what you've done at the end of the day or what have you, but maybe they don't really tally anything for a month. Maybe they hand everything over, you know, to a bookkeeper or something. Is it safe to say that a a lot of business owners really don't know their numbers. Yes. And it's not just boutique owners. It's all business. So many business owners. Yeah. Because you just don't know what you don't know. You don't know what to focus on. You don't have time. I don't have time. I don't enjoy that. I need to be selling. It's more important that I'm on the floor. And if I have cash in the bank, and so they run most business owners run from their checking account. If I have money, I buy lots of stuff. If I don't have money, I stress. If I have money, I buy lots of stuff. Like that's how they run their business. And so with Profit First and then some of the other tools that we work on, it's about measuring the things that matter consistently. And none of these women have been like, I love this. I want to be a bookkeeper. No, no, <laughs> But all no. of them are like, you know what? It literally takes me 20 minutes, Sierra, on a Monday morning to now log in, see what I did in sales. What is my margin? What's my average ticket? How many units did I sell? And then I make my transfers you know, to what I'm going to do for Profit First or whatever they're following. 20 minutes, 30 minutes done. And that feeling of control. I know what money I have. I know where it's going. I'm making those decisions. My money is not making the decisions for me anymore. That actually helps them build confidence. And with more confidence, you see more results. It's just natural progression. And with more results, you build even more confidence. And that's why your business starts to bloom. Wow. I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> well, you're but I so have to tell to you, <laughs> thank you, thank you, because it was it was more than good. Oh, wow. It was like super badass, and thank you. so so informative and so knowledgeable. And I hope that it. I know it will resonate with our listeners because it it almost. I don't want to make it like it just is. It's not common sense, even though. It should be common sense. We're just not wired that way. Like, oh, it's a little too easy. Let me be suspicious yes. or suspect. <laughs> yeah. But again, if you strip it down, 
get out of your own way. You know, you, you're opening a business for a reason. Maybe it's a passion project or whatever. You, you want to support the, whatever it is. And, and the fact that they have this extra support out there in IE you is wonderful. And oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. You mentioned a podcast. Tell me the name of your podcast. The Boutique Workshop Podcast. It's pretty okay. Yes. I like it. Yes. Okay. So we're going to have all that linked in the show notes where we can find Ciara. And as always, you know, any questions, comments, the website is joyfoundhere.com. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary. This is so crazy that this is probably episode 48. Words I never thought I'd say for a thousand hours. It has just been such a great ride. And we're actually going to be doing some some giveaways coming up. And I just really, as always, appreciate the support. Anywhere you listen to your pods, that's where you're going to find us on Apple, on Spotify. And Spotify just started a star rating system. So yes, please, I know you've listened. Go back, give us a review. We would love, love and appreciate it. And I'm going to leave you with one of the, our tattoo of the day, which is live big. Love it. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Until next time, be well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.